0: Hello and welcome to the show, in an episode where we ask, do we have to specialise to get ahead in this world, or is there room for generalists in today's workplace? Speaking of workplaces, this episode is sponsored by One Night Consulting, and yes, 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 that's me. But listen up. I started One Night Consulting because I've seen variations of the same problems plaguing growing startups, scale-ups, and larger digitally transforming companies again and again. These problems can cause friction between teams, slow product development, lacklustre sales, and ultimately lead to constrained growth. So, if you're scaling your product organization, struggling with cross team alignment, or having trouble executing your product strategy to support your business goals, you can go to onenightconsulting.com and book a call with, well, me and see how I can help. That's onenightconsulting.com. You can check the show notes for more details. Anyway, now it's time to hop in a boat with me and journey to a tiny island on the edge of the world and find one woman who's spearheading the generalist movement through community, career support, and resources. So, let's find out what all the fuss is about on One Night in Product. So my guest tonight is Millie Tarmaty. Millie's a mental health advocate, community builder, founder and passionate generalist who lives in a tiny island off the coast of Scotland with 170 residents, a castle and a distillery. So I'm hoping I can persuade her to send me a little bottle of that famous Rase whiskey. These days she's looking far beyond 170 people and distilling her passion for community and generalists with her new startup, Generalist World, a global launchpad for generalists and says we can all be successful wearing many hats, which does sound good, but she hasn't seen the size of my head. Hi Millie, how are you tonight?
1: I'm doing great. That's
0: a fantastic intro. Thank you very much for having me. No worries. So the first most important question. So you're originally from New Zealand. You've travelled the world. You've visited over 65 countries. You had your pick of the map. But you've settled in a remarkably small island on the edge of the UK, way up there north of Ben Nevis. So how come you decided to stay there?
1: a great question. And I think the answer kind of lies in the first part of what you asked. So as you said, I'm originally from New Zealand. I've been traveling for the past 10 years. One of the places that I stopped in for about a year was Indonesia. That's when I met my now husband, who he makes whiskey. (laughs) So Uh probably organized that little bottle. (laughs) So yeah, he got offered this job about eighteen months ago and we've been living up on Rase for, yeah, the last year and a half.
0: Oh, excellent. So has he got like his own distillery and his own brand up there, or is he working for some other established company up there?
1: He works for an established company, um Rase Distillery, believe it or not. <laughs> oh,
0: there you go. Does what it says on the tin, I guess. It does what <laughs> exactly. it says on the bottle. <laughs> now I've looked at tourist photos of, of Rase and it looks very windswept, very lovely, very green and and you were talking before this about the wind and the rain as well obviously but you know you've got to take your rough or your smooth but i've been to the rural uk before many many times the broadband speed is generally pretty rubbish now also you're heavily involved in the tech scene your community building you're working with people all around the world and presumably sometimes you even have to go and travel to some of these places travel to conferences travel abroad to do meetups and stuff how easy is it doing all of that stuff from where you are in your current base?
1: Well. To be honest, it, it's a learning curve. Like, I, <laughs> even, even I think five or 10 years ago, I wouldn't say it would have been impossible to do this, but I think we've come a really, really long way in the past few years in terms of remote work. So I'm, I'm very lucky that the, the, the internet situation is not too bad, although uh, the house that I live is actually the last house that's like on grid, so like with electricity and water and everything. So we do not have Wi-Fi. I have a 40-pound Wi-Fi dongle that I got off eBay, and I literally balance it in my window. And it is incredible. I can do, you know, we, I host weekly events. I spend a lot of my life on calls. And the Wi-Fi, it, it's amazing. It, it works. Often it's better, you know, I could be on a call with someone in San Francisco and their Wi-Fi is chopping out and my one <laughs> <laughs> balancing on the window is is doing okay. So I feel very fortunate to live in this day and age where this is a possibility. I can live on this tiny island that no one's heard of in the middle of nowhere. I can have this kind of like balance, right? Where I'm looking out the window and all I see is trees. I don't see people yeah. yet. I can still be deeply involved in the tech and startup scene. And I think we're just at this very specific, special time of the world where all of this is possible.
0: Yeah, you wait till the metaverse comes along and you don't even need to look <laughs> at the trees anymore. But I think it's also really interesting for me. And this is something that I reflected on a lot over the pandemic and the lockdowns and all of the times that we were kind of all holed up at home and you know, could have been literally anywhere, including on an island in the mm-hmm. middle of nowhere. It's like, even just a few years ago, maybe not even 10, but like even just a few years ago, it would have been so problematic to try and coordinate like an entire company online. It just feels that all of the tools and the ways that we can collaborate and everything have come on so far, and, and I'm I'm here for that, obviously. I mean, I still do like to you know, bump into people every now and then, but I just think it's amazing, and it'd be really interesting to see where we go. But hopefully not in the metaverse, because I've seen a bunch of videos of that, and so far it is remarkably unimpressive, but, you know, hot take. We have a long maybe way to like- go.
1: Yeah, it'll take a bit,
0: right? It'll take a bit. Give me legs and we'll talk. Now, as I said in the intro, you're the founder of Generalist World, so it's pitch time. What problem does Generalist World solve for me or for generalists in general? And I guess, importantly, how does it specifically solve it?
1: So, for example, I am a generalist through and through. I've had a really non-traditional, non-linear career. I know the value that I bring to a company, especially to a startup. I'm cross functional. I can work across different domains. I'm a problem solver. I'm a connector. Yet, there was nowhere for companies to come and hire me. So, that's one side of the problem. And then the other side is as a generalist, I didn't know any other generalist. In fact, I didn't even know the word generalist. I didn't have language for it. I was kind of always like, I'm a jack of all trades. I'm. I wear many hats. I didn't have any anything specific. I'd never seen me represented, I guess. Yeah. And so the problem we've solved is being this support and this resource for people who think and work a little bit differently. We proudly don't think we need to specialize.
0: So, I mean, that sounds great, but you said that you hadn't got a vocabulary for this yourself you didn't really know anyone that did that so how big of a for want of a better word problem is this like how many generalists are there out there not just in your community but like how many people out there in general do you think that there are that would maybe fall under this label is it like a majority of people and they're just being forced into buckets that they don't need to be in or do you think it's a sizable minority that needs to be supported but that there's still kind of a big world out there for specialists as well
1: I love that question because I think the answer to it is that we just don't know. A lot of what I'm doing at the moment is figuring this out because, uh, and when I say figuring it out, I feel sometimes like I'm swimming in the dark because I'm not following yeah. anyone that has done this. It really is. Um, it started with me realizing that I had this problem that I was like, oh man, I I feel really awkward when someone asks me what I do. And... <laughs> Yeah, like I would I would I would kind of cringe when someone would say, like, what do you do? And so it started with me, one person, and then I it it really kicked off. I I started to talk to, you know, maybe around ten people that kind of looked like me on LinkedIn and Twitter. And that has snowballed and the word of mouth and referral effect of this is wild. It's like no one has ever given generalists. Permission and acknowledge that this is like okay and that it's valued. And so when we bring one person into the community, they are like the most excited person ever because they finally feel like they belong somewhere. And then in turn, they bring everyone they know who also works like them. So to answer your question, I have absolutely no idea what percentage of the world is generalist, but my hunch is it's much higher than we think.
0: Oh, more research needed, but it sounds exciting and you've got this kind of almost viral growth loop going already. So who knows where that will go, keeping an eye on the stats. But you just said, of course, that you didn't have words for it and you were, maybe you called yourself a jack of all trades. I know there's talk of things like T-shaped people out there as well, people that have yeah, deep expertise in some areas, but generally applicable expertise across a lot of areas. I guess, are those people generalists too? Like Are these T-shaped people and jack of all trades? just different types of generalist or is generalist a very specific type of thing? Like, How are you specifically defining it or how would you define yourself other than that you've just had a varied experience?
1: It's an evolving definition and the more people that become, <laughs> it really is. I would define a generalist as someone who intuitively is comfortable and happiest wearing many hats, which I know still sounds kind of broad, but we now have around well over a thousand people gathered in the community, and I've spoken to many of them one on one and the common like trait and combining factor is that when they when they see our website, when they hear some of our content, they just know it's not a like if you it's one of those things where it's like if you know, you know and yeah especially often folks have been trying for their entire lives and their entire careers to fit into these like specialized boxes to be given a role and a title and ultimately it just doesn't make them happy
0: yeah no it makes a lot of sense I guess the question to follow up from that though and you kind of touched on it just then yourself like it doesn't make them happy I mean that's obviously something that we want people to be and I know that you've been an advocate for and you've worked in and around mental health before as of I it's like a it's a good goal to go for right but what are some of the impacts that being forced into these roles, these more specialized roles, or maybe to some extent, constraining people that don't want to be constrained? Like, what are some of the kind of effects of that that you've seen from people that you've spoken to in your community?
1: So the way I see it, we all are going to spend a really large part of our lives working. That's inevitable. Yep. And If we are working these jobs and roles that really don't align with how we work best, that is naturally going to have a huge effect on our mental health. We actually have a, there's a woman in our community. She's a neuroscientist turned entrepreneur. She's absolutely phenomenal. And her and I had this conversation the other day where she would love to do the research that comes with working these jobs that ultimately don't fulfill you. And how much happier you could be if you are given the freedom to work roles that do. And as an example, my previous role, it's quite funny, it was the director of miscellaneous. That was my contracted title.
0: (laughs) I like it. You could have been promoted to the chief miscellaneous officer as well.
1: (laughs) Exactly. I like that. So the director of miscellaneous, and I can honestly say that apart from being a founder, that was the job where I felt most fulfilled, most happy most valued. And the reason was because I would turn up every day. I wasn't put into a box. It wasn't like Millie's going to be working on this and nothing else. I would turn up. I would see the big problems at hand and I would go and dig in to wherever I was needed. I touched every single area of the business except for design and engineering. Because to answer your previous question, we do need specialists. Like We totally do need specialists. I'm just saying we also need to make room for generalists who are, you know, the thread that ties it all together, these connectors, um, someone's also described it as like the glue. For me, I think it's an essential part of business.
0: Yeah, and there's different opinions about glue roles to some extent. I mean, product management, which is obviously my world, that's something that is often described as glue. And some people actually push back against that because they're like, well, actually, there's a craft to product management, for example. But at the same time, obviously, product managers in general are very cross-functional. They work across so many different parts of the business. So there is something to that. Mm -hmm. And I'm actually kind of curious now, you sort of touched on the fact that there are, or that we do need a percentage of, say, generalists and a percentage of specialists, for example, engineers or data scientists or stuff like that. And maybe it's a really difficult question to answer, but what is that percentage? Is there a kind of a general rule of thumb or like something that you've seen from the Work that you've done, or does it vary so wildly across different types of industry that it would be impossible to say, like, such and such a company needs more generalists to be successful?
1: Again, we're swimming in the dark. We don't know because it, it really hasn't been done. I think what I'm seeing, and keep in mind, we're very early on, we're about four months in, but what I'm seeing from speaking to lots of people, speaking to lots of companies, is that the generalist sweet spot is in companies of under 50 people. It's Not to say it's not impossible in larger organizations, but uh, me being just one person, I need to like laser focus on where we can have the most impact. And for me, that's really obvious. It's uh, it's early stage, right up to around that 50 people mark. Above that, that's going to be future Millie's problem to solve. (laughs) So it's hard to say, but I think especially in early stage, a generalist is such a superpower.
0: Yeah, and again, I'm always going to be up for generalists and people that can do a bunch of things. And like you say, especially in those smaller firms where, as far as I'm concerned, getting two specialists or like two big company-type people in too soon can actually have a real dragging effect on the company because you start to do things. For sure. What you, you start to try and optimize for things that you shouldn't be optimizing for yet. Mm. But you've touched on it. You've had a bunch of jobs, mm-hmm. including the director of Miscellaneous, but you've also worked in a bunch of places, you've been freelancing, you've done contracting, you've been doing a variety of different roles in your time. So what was it that made you decide at this specific moment in time that this was a problem that you needed to solve, that you needed to start Generalist World and you needed to be the advocate for generalists, apart from just being one yourself. Like why now?
1: It almost wasn't a decision. It just happened. It was it all started from the thought, I think I mentioned, that why don't I know anyone else that worked like me? And the the conversations, the momentum, the excitement, people like are just, you've probably maybe seen it online, that people are just so ridiculously excited about this concept that, um, you know, I'm a big believer in momentum. It's really, really hard to get momentum back. Yep. And when, so when I started to, talking to folks and I could see there's like a moment where people's eyes light up. And if you have a product or if you have an idea and someone's eyes light up when you speak about it, you're on to something. And it took me around, only around maybe a month of of having these initial conversations with people that I realized I have to go all in on this. And I I left my job as the director of miscellaneous and I went all in on generalist world.
0: So are you saying that currently you have no competitors and that now people are going to start snapping at your heels or are they are kind of companies operating kind of in this space but that you've just got a different lens on it?
1: There are other definitions, I guess, kind of synonyms of a generalist. So there's like um, a multi-potentialite, there's a polymath, and there are communities around this that do exist. As far as I can see, we're one of the first, if not the first, I mean definitely the biggest and strongest, to really focus on the career generalist. So our goal is to help generalists at every stage of their career from the moment they realize that, oh, maybe maybe specializing isn't for me, right through the inevitable many switches of the career, of course, as a generalist, and then right through to the end where maybe they want to get more involved in mentoring and giving back. So I kind of see generalist world um, being there at the life cycle Of a generalist. And as far as I can find, and I'm four months in, this does not exist.
0: But I'm assuming that some people in your community are already starting to get put forward for roles, or they're getting roles for the job board that you put up and starting to move forward in their career and embrace their generalist lifestyle. And aside from things like director of miscellaneous, what types of roles are these people actually getting when they, or at least getting considered for when they go into these Mm -hmm. companies?
1: Yeah, it's interesting because a lot of the roles are roles that, again, maybe didn't exist five years ago. So Chief of Staff has been a huge explosion recently. BizOps is another one. There's a lot of titles like Wildcard. And to be honest, my goal is to be able to help companies employ people for truly generalist roles. Right now, we're at this kind of tipping point where people can see the need. Like We basically have two sides of the marketplace. We have an incredible talent pool, like, I mean, phenomenal talent pool. And now we have companies who are coming to us being like, I need help with this, this, and this. And something we've recently, we're, we've recently experimented with is when a company comes to submit that they want help, I intentionally don't ask for what role they're hiring for. Instead, I ask for what problems do you want solved? And then I simply go back to the community and I'm like, who knows how to solve this? Who's keen to solve this? Let me know how you'd solve it. And then I just send that back to the founder. And it's this very like, almost like a more human way of hiring, less transactional, less about the CV. It's like, okay, you're an early stage company. You've got tons of problems. We have people with solutions. Let's like and I just see myself as like the connector and the facilitator.
0: Yeah, it's interesting. There's a very jobs to be done type mentality around that as well, kind of moving away from very specific solutions per se and just saying, like you say, what problem needs to be solved? But that's something that not all companies are gonna be comfortable with to start with. Like there's long history of quite bad hiring, bad job specs, bad interview processes. Are these people that you're putting forward going through a very different process? Or are they kind of getting put through basically the same process, but that the job's a bit more optimized around them? Like, are they still going through the same drudgery of all the different rounds of interviews and having to submit CVs that call out certain things? Or are you basically creating like a new type of hiring?
1: Well, that's the million dollar question. Um, That is what I've been spending a lot of my time thinking about. I've been coming at this from, I don't have an HR background, I don't have a background in talent, so it's been very much a baptism of fire, looking at the way that we hire and being really disheartened by the entire process of it, how much it honestly sucks for the the job seekers, but also how much it sucks for founders and hiring managers, the resource that goes into sorting through hundreds of applications. So I I don't have the answers for you yet, but I will say I'm very, very interested in how we can make that better. And that's where I'm kind of leaning into this community-led everything, really, but community-led recruitment where I have this community who I personally know, I've vetted them, I've spoken to each one, I vouch for them. And then moving towards this more human way of hiring, where I then speak to the, the founders, or the hiring managers and it's like kind of just like matching rather than this like transaction.
0: Yeah, although speaking of transactions, it also seems like a potential avenue for this could be, for example, short term gigs. Like for example, you're a generalist, you have a certain set of skills like Liam Neeson, I guess, and you go in and you go and fill a need because they have one, but then maybe you go on go and do that somewhere else. Like is that part of your thinking as well? Or are you looking at again trying to change the hiring paradigm and and having people that are there for the duration or certainly till the company gets to a certain size?
1: I'm open. I'm open to seeing what both sides of the market want. From the generalist side, there is a huge amount of interest in this like fractional gig, part-time kind of work. I think the thing with generalists is we are inherently very, very curious and we need to be challenged. So it's quite an attractive prospect for a generalist to be able to work across multiple different projects and and solve multiple different problems
0: yeah makes a lot of sense and that's what i'm trying to do at the moment as well so definitely understand the attraction to that but from a personal level i mean you've described yourself as a generalist and obviously you've got your own definition of that and there's the hiring stuff that we just talked about and the potential problems that you might have getting a job or finding a job that you even want but aside from the specifics of hiring what are some of the really great things in your mind, about being a generalist, like ways that it helps you, not just at work, but just as a person?
1: Yeah, I think we are talking about this in a very career perspective. But ultimately, being a generalist is who I am. It's the reason that I've spent 10 years traveling, for example. It's the reason, it you know, not that I can't sit still, but that I'm so curious. I love to learn. I love to explore. And that's given me the most rich, 10 years that I've been traveling of my entire life, I really think I owe that to being a generalist.
0: Yeah. And I guess on the flip side, then, are there any downsides? Like, aside again from the hiring, let's leave that to one Mm -hmm. side. Like, are there any downsides to that? Are there any things that you think, well, wouldn't it just be simpler if I just did this one thing? Like, how does that sit?
1: Yeah, I think the biggest downside for me was never feeling like I was up until now, is like never feeling like I was doing something wrong almost because society has told me that I, I should specialize. And it's like, this is the career ladder and you go up. There's no room for like lateral. And so I spent a really big part of my life and my career not feeling like I kind of fit in anywhere and it's a feeling of pressure to niche down and choose, you know, get serious, go deep on something. and Naturally, I felt yeah, like I really didn't belong, and that I was doing something wrong, or that I was a bit bit weird, to be honest, (laughs) a bit of like an outlier for not wanting to be like everyone else. So I think that was the big thing. I uh, being a generalist can be really damn lonely, yeah. Unless yeah, unless you have people around you that are also validating, like this is this is totally okay. But for my entire life, I haven't had that.
0: No, absolutely. And I guess the community that you've put up and the signups that you've had are starting to build some of that support network around the world. I mean, you've built that up now, I think you said a thousand odd people, representation from like 60 countries. So it's obviously on the up. But what are some of the specific initiatives that the community is doing so far? I mean, again, it's pretty early, but like some of the stuff, that you've been, is it just meetups or mentoring or are there like other initiatives that you're looking to kind of put out there to help support people in situations like you've just described?
1: Yeah. So General's World is basically made up of these three pillars. The first is community. And that's where we have things like events, workshops, you're about to kick off a mastermind. And obviously, the, the community which lives on Slack at the moment, so where people can come and find support, ask questions. And, you know, maybe I'm biased, but in my experience, it is one of the most valuable communities I've ever been a part of. And <laughs> I think it's... And I really think it's because people are so excited to be there. They're so excited to give back to other people like them, that there is so much like giving on generalist world, which it blows my mind often. The second kind of pillar is this opportunity pillar. And so that's where, you know, we're basically trying to get people awesome jobs. Yeah. Essentially in a nutshell. And then the third is education and resource. So it is, Educating externally, so the world coming on podcasts like this, spreading the message almost like an awareness campaign of what a generalist is, who we are, what value we bring. But then also internally, you know, having these resources for generalists. We're looking at developing this kind of playbook at the moment where it's like, here is all of the problems that we collectively face. Here's how many of us have solved them. And just having these like really solid, valuable resources, which honestly, I wish I had when I was 20.
0: No, absolutely. I think having communities and and having resources, I mean, it's it's an obvious game changer when there's a gap there. But you said recently on Twitter, I think you got it pinned on Twitter that, in your opinion, nine out of 10 communities are going to fail. And obviously, I'm assuming yours is going to be the one of the one out of 10s. But in the interest of getting that number down and not making other people either generalist or otherwise kind of sad, like why are those communities gonna fail in your opinion?
1: <laughs> the intention definitely wasn't to make people sad. <laughs> the intention of that post was to make people think. I think community has become a real buzzword. Companies are jumping on board, brands are jumping on board, and you know, community is not a discord. Community is not a Slack channel. Yeah, it really isn't. But there's almost a danger with how easy it has been to whip up a community. I could,
0: <laughs> I could,
1: I could kick one off in five minutes today. And this is where I see the danger being. Is I'm not sure how many communities or Slack groups you're a part of, but my gosh, most of them are, are ghost towns. Yeah, <laughs> they really are. So the danger I see with community building is it's so easy from the outside looking in so easy to see the success of like communities that are growing and people that are like getting these real world valuable outcomes and it's like I worry that community is going to become kind of like a fad you know where everyone jumps on the bad wagon and then the the overall quality of community goes way way down and so the the thinking behind the nine out of ten communities will fail is because they haven't really thought if I start this, do I want to be working on this for the next three to five to seven years? It's like if you start a community, depending on, of course, what your intentions are, but if you start a community with the intention of monetizing and making it a part of your business strategy, then you need to treat it like a business. You need to be like, yeah. have the same level of like dedication and thought that you would to starting a business. And so that was the intention, not to. Not to depress anyone and be like, <laughs> you're all going to fail, but to be like, before you start, why are you starting? What is this community? Do you have the bandwidth and the passion and the the grit to see this through? Because otherwise, we're just going to have this graveyard of communities.
0: It's just starting to sound like the metaverse again. but. <laughs> You touched on it. As, I mean, yeah, I'm I'm on a bunch of Slack communities. And I was going to say like, you know, over the years, I've joined Slack communities, I've joined Facebook groups, I've joined discords, I've joined all of these different things trying to find people, you know, to resonate with. And, you know, some of them have been good, some have been bad, quite a lot of them ghost towns, as you say. But isn't it a bit overwhelming for all of us to be on all of these different communities? Like can't we all just go onto one of these centralized social media sites like Twitter and just, Tweet to everyone there. Like, why do we need these communities? In your opinion?
1: So my opinion is that we're going to be moving from mass social media like Twitter, even like LinkedIn, and it's almost going to be like this unbundling where we, of course, there is so many opportunities to meet lots of people, but it comes back to that age old saying: if you're speaking to everyone, you're speaking to no one. And I think to touch back on the mental health kind of topic that we were speaking about earlier there is a serious like meaning crisis at the moment. You know, so many people are lacking purpose and meaning and belonging. And I think as the world gets busier, as it changes faster and faster, to have this core group of people who you know and trust are going to have your back and are going to be able to help to support you, I think is going to become an invaluable resource. So I think that communities, when done well, are going to be incredibly
0: important for the future. Oh, hear, hear. But now I want you to imagine a generalist. Maybe they haven't called themselves a generalist yet. Maybe they're still slaving away in some rubbish job that's not satisfying them. They want to break out and be their full selves and find something they're happy with and embrace their generalism. Now, aside from joining their community, which I'm assuming they should absolutely do, what's like that one first step that you'd advise them to do to start to move down that path?
1: Whether it's joining the community or whether it's just finding more people like you, I think there is huge value in validating that you're not alone. I can't like emphasize that enough. I think that was one of my biggest struggles before I met all of my people was just really feeling like I didn't fit in and there was something wrong with me. So I would urge anyone who is curious or if some of this is resonating and you think, okay, perhaps this could be me, is to seek even one other person out because it has been, as I said, a snowball effect. When I sought out that one, five, ten first members, it was like a light bulb for all of us.
0: Well, here, here, let's hope that some of my listeners will feel inspired to do something similar given that they are all, hopefully a lot of them at least, are all generalists at heart anyway, all of these product managers with all of our different skills. So try and find your people. But if people do want to find this person, as in you, after this, and want to chat about communities or find out more about generalist world or maybe even try and get a sniff to a whiskey, <laughs> where can they find you?
1: Yeah, so uh, you'll find me. I'm very vocal on LinkedIn and Twitter. That has been 100% of my marketing strategy at the moment. It is literally <laughs>
0: just
1: shouting as loud as I can about generalists. So it's just my name, Millie Tamati, on both LinkedIn and Twitter. You can also find us at generalist.world where you can find where you can sign up for the community, although we do have a bit of a wait list at the moment. I think there's about 400 folks on it. It's growing by the day. So I'm really trying to get through that as fast as I can. But yeah, to your point earlier, it's about making sure the community can scale while still keeping the essence of what we have now. So just in case people are disappointed by that wait list. It is there really intentionally not to say you can't come in. It's just opening the door slowly to make sure that we still have a really high quality community inside.
0: Absolutely. Well, they better get on quick so they don't have to wait even longer. Well, I'll make sure to link all of that into the show notes. And hopefully you'll get a few exciting looking community members heading in your direction. Uh, Well, it's been a fantastic chat, so obviously really glad we could find the time to talk about some fascinating and inspirational topics. Obviously, we'll stay in touch, but yeah, as for now, thanks for taking the time.
1: Thank you so
0: much. Bye. As always, thanks for listening. I hope you found the episode inspiring and insightful. If you did, again, I can only encourage you to pop over to onenightinproduct.com. Check out some of my other fantastic guests, sign up to the mailing list or subscribe on your favourite podcast app, and make sure you share with your friends so you and they can never miss another episode again. I'll be back soon with another inspiring guest, but as for now, thanks and good night.